this monkey for now, Frankenstein? I know I'd go from rags to riches. Why, a four-year-old child could understand this report. Run out and find me a four-year-old child. I can't make a head or tail out of it. Baravelli, you've got the brain of a four-year-old boy, and I bet he was glad to get rid of it. My fate is up to you. Now, now, I'm getting my pants about you. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Your List Sucks Top 100. It's Thanksgiving Eve. And I'm thankful that I only have one more episode. <laughs> this is it. This is we've been kind of for the past two and a half months. Everybody's top ten movies of all time. So I hope you're excited. I hope you're ready. I'm glad no one has to work tomorrow because we might be here a while, but that's okay. It's going to be fun. Scott Harvey Esquire coming to us live from his parents' house. Yeah, um, I'm expecting today. My my parents uh, deserve a a nice gift card from uh, on behalf of Multiplex Entertainment. I think, uh, given that I just walked in the door five minutes ago uh, and came straight up here, um, after not seeing them for a couple of months now. But you know what? Commitment to the show. I I committed to do this. I'm here. I'm happy to be here. I just want to say because we'll probably all be tired at the end of the show. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Kirk Coho, for having me. Thank you to the rest of the panel. Um, I would say that I wouldn't want to have done it with anyone else, but that's actually not true. Um, but you, you guys have still been great. You guys have still been great. All right. Thank you, Scott. Uh, to the opposite side of me, I don't know where he's at, but he's got a nice Hollywood, uh, holiday ambiance going on. Looks like he's dressed for church with the in-laws. Jay Crookshake. How you doing today, buddy? Last I'm pretty one. good. Ready for it? Yeah, I feel uh, like I picked the objective uh, 10 greatest movies of all time. So I feel pretty good about my odds of winning. I don't like want to get like, you know, cocky or anything. Like I don't want to celebrate before like, you know, the the, the, the day is done. But like, you know, uh, it just depends on what the other people really have on their list uh, at the end of the day, though. You know? All right. Down to the bottom. Amarumos, I know you travel today. I don't know where you're at. Yes, but... I am I am in a hotel room. Um, there's somebody else listening in the background. Um, I don't know whether or not they will listen for the entire four hours. But we will see. Um, right. We will see. And apparently Jake <laughs> has a tux on. I didn't see him take it off. I was, gonna, I was going to very much uh, compliment the sweater. Uh, but now I'll compliment the, the, the suit. Lovely. <laughs> All right. And uh, Spence, you look like you're coming from the same place you always have. This is your last chance. How's it going to go for you tonight? You feel. <laughs> I'm in danger. I'm just here eating my chicken Alfredo. Nice and relaxed. We got we got we got one more week technically. I don't know why y'all are celebrating. You get to hear me talk for another four hours about how shitty my opinions are. So it's a regular night for me. <laughs> All right, we're gonna we're gonna get into it in a minute here. Uh, just so we all know, before we start uh, next week, we do have one show left after this. It's gonna be our wrap up show um, next week. We'll we will go over the combined top one hundred of this series. Uh, I will announce the overall winner. We will be joined by the cast of the spring top one hundred. We will compare lists and name an overall winner for uh, for twenty twenty. So that's always a lot of fun. It's a much shorter show, uh, a little more laid back. 
Uh, but make sure you join us for that because that's going to be a good time. But for tonight, top 10 all time. We're doing carousel style top uh, top to bottom. Uh, we're going to do everybody's 10s, everybody's 9s, all the way down to 1. And we're going to start with Mr. Scott Harvey and your number 10. All right, my number 10, definitely a very Scott Harvey movie to start us off. Uh, the Best Picture winner from 2015, Spotlight. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, I, this has always been one of my favorite movies ever since I saw it in theaters for the first time. I actually think I appreciate it even more after watching through Tom McCarthy's filmography this year because, um, you, you know, he started out his career doing these really low-key, understated, like, humanist indie dramas, like The Station Agent, The Visitor, and Win Win were, like, his first three movies. And then he gets this movie, right, which obviously much higher pedigree, much, you know, prestige Oscar candidate, big cast. And... It has all of the things that you expect it to have, but it's also a Tom McCarthy movie first and foremost. And it is it, it is that low key understated human drama um, that you're probably not expecting from a big Oscar candidate. And that's what I love about the movie. Um, you know, everyone always points out that Ruffalo scene that they knew, you know, <laughs> but I think what everyone, uh, you know, doesn't really talk about is that's really like the only scene like that in the movie. Right. Like that's the Oscar clip. But that's the only scene like that in the movie because that's not really what the movie is. And they place that scene very strategically. It's at a very, you know, important point in the story when, um, you know, they're, but he's basically at his wits end. He's like, we're ready to print this story. And then, you know, Robbie's like, no, we're not doing it. Um, and so it makes sense in the context of the movie. And even after the end of that scene, like after Ruffalo goes on his rant, um, the first line that Michael Keaton says to him is, are you done? And it's a perfect moment of like grounding that, that scene of like, Hey, this isn't actually how we do things. This isn't real life. Like this rant that you just went on, like, this is, um, you know, you gotta be professional about this. And that's really what the whole movie is, is these people doing their jobs and there's all these, you know, just little moments. And, and I really love also the way that he captures how much this story permeated Boston um, and the lives of these people, like all of the journalists are affected in their own personal lives by this story. Um, one of my, another one of my favorite moments is Sasha, Rachel McAdams' character, her grandmother is like a very devout Catholic. And the scene where she shows um, her grandmother the story for the first time, and it's framed like really well through like, basically like you're looking through a doorway. Um, and she just like puts down the paper after reading it to grandmother and just says, Sasha, can you get me a glass of water? And like, that's all, that's all that needs to be said. Um, it's, it's, again, one of those understated moments that I really appreciate from McCarthy's filmmaking. So this movie, I, I love that it won Best Picture because I think in a lot of ways it's antithetical to what you expect from a big Oscar drama because it is so low-key. Um, but that's what makes it so good to me. Um, and it's just an extremely powerful story. And McCarthy understands that. He lets the story and he lets the people involved with these stories this story do the legwork um so i think it's weirdly enough for a movie that won best picture i think it's weirdly underrated because i think people just brush it off as just another oscar baby drama okay i've talked about spotlight before this is a movie that i understand the love for i mean it's obviously an important movie um but i've also said that just procedurals like this just aren't my that's not my genre um, and like you said, I think because, you know, the Ruffalo scene is the one big scene and everything else is just kind of like, you know, the legwork. Um, that's just really not my thing. 
Um, but it's not something where I'm ever going to say that it, you're, you're wrong for liking it because I know it's not a bad movie. It's just not for, uh, you know, like I said, it's just not for me. Uh, everybody else on Spotlight. This is one I, uh, one of the ones I haven't seen that I really, really want to. I also need to like build myself up to see um, as much time as I've said, I haven't seen it. And I want to, this is one I'm like, every time I hear about this movie again, I'm like, shit, I haven't seen it yet. So um, I'm looking forward to whenever I do it. I remember back in like 2016, the Oscars were happening. Everyone was yelling at me when I said like, this deserved best picture. Like it's not my favorite film of the year. But I think it's so powerful and 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 shocks you. And I, I also think it's one of the only films where I could believe when someone says that the credits were their favorite part of the film, not just being an asshole. Because I think it has like this immense amount of just power when you're just seeing yeah. the name and you're just oh shit, it just it drops and it away, goes from you, yeah. and goes, and you're just realizing like this is a huge story. And that's because like oh shit, look what happened to Boston. The world was affected by it, and this group of people change the world from just fighting through everyone trying to hold them back from telling the truth this is immaculate filmmaking i'm just curious so what's everyone's uh favorite uh member of the spotlight team because there's uh there's so many there's uh you got your leave shriver your the whole cast uh, leave, Sh- leave shriver is so good at he's so he's good so at movie. Good. like he is so he is exactly on the right level but i mean you know i'm a ruffalo guy i gotta go with with him in the end but they're they all knew. fantastic that's like happen. the worst part in the film. Though. No, no, it's great. It's your Scott was right. It's perfectly timed. The whole movie is so unshowy and unstylistic and so restrained the whole time. You see when uh, Spielberg tries to uh, kind of re- repeat what Spotlight's doing fairly successfully, I think, in the post. He can't resist uh, the hyper-stylized, showing the printing press and the camera panning all the way down it. And it's like, mm-hmm. that's what Spielberg brings to it. But uh, Spotlight is that in its purest form. I really love this movie. All right, Spence, uh, what is your number 10? My 10 is like a magnus- magnum opus of filmmaking. We were really waiting for for a long time. Picking uh, all too well from this year. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> I want to see if T-Mac showed up. All right, we're good. Whenever, whenever ten, I'm here. Avengers, T-Mac is my brother. <laughs> Avengers Endgame. Yikes. Gomru. Uh, <laughs> it's me. Oh. What did you expect? Gomru, <laughs> what is your uh, number 10? <laughs> um, my number 10. Uh, Spence, I'm giving it back to you pretty soon. Um, the best Fantastic Four movie of all time, The Incredibles. Uh, this is Pixar's best film, hands down. It is just a, we've talked about superhero movies before. Talk about what superhero uh, movies would be in real life, um, and this is yet and still another new take on it, where superheroes have to go in hiding because of the actual damage that goes through, not the big bombastic damage that we see in Batman, Superman, or even in uh, Civil War, but just personally to different people. And then how they're trying to just live in the real world. Bob Parr's just anger and frustration being at an insurance claims company is, is pretty hilarious. And it's, it's, and, and all of it, just the, the the joy you get throughout the entire movie kind of all boils down really easily to the two scenes. One, when he 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 picks up the car and the little boy, uh, the bubblegum pops in his face. And then later in the film, uh, when uh, uh, Mr. Incredible's like, what are you waiting for? And he's like, 
something amazing, I guess. Uh, that that might not have been the end of the film, but those two things just show how great this this movie is and how how well it blends the action. The voice cast is is uh, incredible. Uh, Samuel Jackson, of course, is great. Craig T. Nelson is great at, at Bob as Bob. Every family member gets their time to shine. Um, even Jack Jack for a little bit, even though Jack Jack's scene is in Incredibles two. Um, and I think this is one of my favorite. Uh, antagonist ever syndrome is great he's a bumbling idiot as an actual supervillain, but his ideas and his ability to be like he got me monologuing and, and freezing them and and knowing what to do um is is great um edna mode one of the greatest characters of all time point blank period and the fact that brad bird voiced her uh is is just it's hilarious i i love this film uh i think the incredibles is it's incredible. I'm going to say it again. It is. How dare you call him in Syndrome and his real name, Incrediboy? Incredible. <laughs> <laughs> buddy? You mean Buddy? Yeah, no, Incrediboy is his real name. You're not affiliated with me. Uh, I think that this, this, is, this is a film, weirdly, that I think, when you look back, it understands age really well. I, I feel like it has, it has this incredible job of taking every character and really just putting a pin on how their age defines how they interact with everyone. Namely, I love like Violet's the obvious age, but I love I love Dash. Just in the idea of everything is such like this worldly thing to him, but also he can fix all of it. And, and it to me, it all had like that laugh he does when he runs on the water. It's so oh, good, so it's, good. I, I love the moment. It's like after the plane crash, you're like we're dead, we're dead, we're all alone, and we're dead. And he's just like I fucked up once, the world's over. And I also love the dynamic between like Bob and Helen. Is like I can, I'm a child, but I can totally see like the marriage dynamic of those two. Like they've lived so long together and they can pick up like little things in their, in their exchanges like, oh, so this is how we're going to handle this now. And I love their dynamic. And yeah, the ending is incredible. It says one of my, my favorite, my favorite picture of all time is Behold the Underminer. <laughs> just one of my, just one of my most quotable films for me. I love this to pieces. <laughs> Anybody else have this one? Okay, yeah. I love The Incredibles. I completely agree with you, Amory. This is the best Pixar movie. This does what Pixar does the best. Just awesome world building. I love that, like, Silver Age, Art Deco, 60s kind of, like, timeless feel it has to it. Uh, just the, the, the animation is so good. And this is the first Pixar movie that had, like, human main characters. So just the huge leaps they had. Uh, in the animation, this like my, my, one of my favorite shots is when they're in the water after the plane crash and they're all wet and you just see their hair and everything, just how good that looks. Um, I love it's one of the all time greatest superhero movies. Uh, I think just the way that everybody, um, what you're missing so many Marvel and DC movies that like they have all these unique powers. The fight starts and everybody's either shooting lasers or punching, that's all they do. This one, everybody's powers are so important. Not only in the fight, but just who the character is, how like their family, their their place in the family archetype defines their powers. You know, uh, Bob's the dad who has to take it has to be big and take everything on his shoulders. The Bob stretch yourself thin, etc. Uh, I love that so much. Yeah, just the way they use that, that laugh is so great. Just so it's one of the most like pure superhero mo moments ever. It's just like such like great wish fulfillment. Like you know, if you realize like exactly. You know, after being held down that whole movie, he's finally getting, you know, he's, he's off the leash and able to use those powers. Just that feeling he has is is just so uh, is so exhilarating. Uh, so, yeah, I love Incredibles. Like I said, absolutely number one Pixar for me. Uh, 
Rue, I'm sorry, uh, Jake and uh, Scott, what do you got on the credibles? I think uh, Rue, uh, Rue, you said it best when you said this is the best Fantastic Four movie. It actually like it hurts me that they can't get Fantastic Four right when you watch this movie and it's like, oh yeah, like the family dynamic comes first and then and you also said uh, Edna Mode, uh, maybe one of the greatest characters of all time, notably based on the costume designer Edith Head, who has the uh, uh, still has the record I think for the most Oscars for uh, any woman. Uh, famous costume designer uh, worked a lot with um uh audrey hepburn uh i think and uh yeah I, I i fucking love this movie i already put two brad birds on this so it felt wrong to put a third and a fourth brad bird if i was going to so i uh i avoided that for this reason but yeah i also just want to uh, draw attention to a, a weird detail that uh, i was i mentioned the other day to someone uh, does anyone remember the uh, initial teaser for this movie? Uh, it's uh, Bob Parr just trying to get his uh, old Incredibles suit back on. He's trying to get the the red oh, Incredibles yeah. suit back on. And it's totally this like independent film, totally separate from the actual movie. That scene does not appear in The Incredibles. And actually, in the context of The Incredibles, it doesn't even make any sense because that red suit was made specially for him at the size that he is in the movie. Uh, so I just want to like point that out and say, bring back that like a great little uh, animated short uh, just as a trailer. Everyone wanted to see that fucking movie. It told you everything about the movie. It's trying to get this belt on. There's all this great physical comedy. It's amazing. All yeah. right, Jake. Uh, got, got us. Oh, oh, Scott, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah sorry. sorry. Well, I'm going to be the quote unquote bad guy. Not really, <laughs> but um I will say, I feel weirdly about this movie, kind of how what Kirk was saying about Spotlight. I will never begrudge anyone for having this in their top 10, for it being one of their favorite movies, for saying it's a great movie. I think it is a great movie. It's just not for me. I think superhero movies are not one of my favorite genres. Animated movies are not one of my favorite genres. You could see that from the 90. One previous films I have talked about. Um, so when you combine them, and I can distinctly remember too, like I went to see all the Pixar movies, of course, as a kid with my parents, and we were, you know, it was like Toy Story 2, loved it. Monsters Inc., loved it. Finding Nemo, uh, amazing. And then we come out of The Incredibles, and we were all like myself, my mom, and my brother, we were all like, it was good. But we weren't like, this is now one of our favorite movies. And that's kind of just how it has remained for me over the years. But again, go off. I understand why people love it. Scott, my list is going to be very fun for you tonight. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Jake, what is your number 10? My number 10 is Wes Anderson's clear, obvious masterpiece, uh, The Grand Budapest Hotel, which I believe has already been yikes by. Yeah, great. Uh, yeah. Uh, so the reason that I think that uh, this is Wes Anderson's best movie is that it um, takes everything that people sort of criticize uh, Wes Anderson for, I think unfairly, that he's largely style over substance and that he's a director who's uh, too obsessed with aesthetics. And it weaves his obsession with aesthetics into the fabric of the movie. The, the whole plot of the movie, the th major theme of the movie is that beauty is important and that uh, beauty is actually the opposite of fascism. <laughs> and that... Uh, this uh, hotel owner played by Ray Fiennes uh, caring about all of these little details, those little details actually matter. 
And uh, it's so strange to see him go from making this masterpiece to making uh, the Isle of Dogs, where it, it just feels like um, he was like, oh, you know what's a, a cool stop motion and Japan and dogs and throw them all in a blender. And sure. And that's uh, that's that's all the problems I, I sometimes can have with Wes Anderson. As much as I, I don't dislike that movie necessarily, it, it's not as uh, the, it's not the holistic masterpiece that I, I feel the Grand Budapest Hotel is. And I think another part of it is that um, Wes Anderson can sometimes have a tendency to treat his actors like little playthings that are just uh, standing in the center of the screen and making the correct face and making the correct gesture. And uh, Ray Fiennes being a uh, theater actor, you would think that uh, he'd be perfect for that. The only thing is that Ray Fiennes actually not a theater actor. He's a very method, very wild, very improvisational uh, actor, which you wouldn't think looking at the guy, you'd think, God, oh, this guy's done like a million Shakespeare plays, right? And apparently they did not get along on set because Ray Fiennes wouldn't stand fucking still. He was like, no, right now I'd be over there. I'd be walking over here. And I think that energy and that conflict between uh, these two artists is uh, the juice of what makes this movie so special. You don't need to put down Isle of Dogs, okay? That's a great movie. <laughs> but I, I do like this. This is my introductory Wes Anderson film, so I'm I have like this big soft spot where I just, I just throw in. And I so here's my thing. I would argue this film does have a little bit of style over substance, but in the way of just there's so much involved. Look, it is so much style and so much substance. It's impossible to balance it, and I love it because of it. It's so much is going on, and I and I love. Then my, my favorite my favorite scene in the film is like that final confrontation on the train when they're getting asked for their passports and it's just like and I remember like oh wait no this is like an actual like emotional story at its core and I could feel like Anderson as a, as a director get like disconnected from that but seeing the relationship between uh, Fines and uh, Zero is incredible and I love I love seeing their bond grow through the film. It, it has soured a little bit on rewatch just because I, I find myself noticing more that sour over substance, but I still have just such that deep, deep love for like my first Anderson that's always going to be somewhere on my list. You're the only two who had it, right? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, I love this movie. I think this, I go back and forth um, between. This and uh, Royal Tenenbaums as my favorite Wes Anderson. Uh, I think this movie, out of all of his movies, uh, the most uh, lends itself to his style. I think his style um, is the most best fit for his for his kind of storytelling, his visuals. Um, I just love that kind of like almost fairy tale. Uh, look and the fairy tale feel and um, just the that that tone that this movie has. Um, just I love how it starts out. It's like a flashback and a flashback and a flashback and a flashback. And um, just that kind of like chaoticness to it just runs through the whole film. And um, I, I uh, yeah, I love it. I think the cast is great. I think I think Fine is great. I, I didn't know you know that story you told Jake. I didn't know about that. Yeah, it, it makes sense because there is just a, a just just a real strong energy to this film. And I think it permeates the entire cast. Um, and it's definitely, like I said, top two Anderson for me. Uh, Ruin Scott, your thoughts on this one? I haven't seen. <clears throat> so I actually just rewatched this for the third time over the weekend. The first time I saw this movie, I was like, meh. The second time I saw this movie, I was like, 
what was I thinking the first time? Like, this movie is actually really good. And then when I watched it over the weekend for the third time, I was like, okay, I was a complete idiot the first time I saw this movie. Like, this is quite possibly Wes Anderson's best movie. It's definitely his funniest movie. Um, I mean, there barely a, a few minutes go by. I, I now think of him as, like, such a funny writer now after French Dispatch, too, had a lot of moments where I was just cackling. But, um yeah, it, it, it's a hilarious movie, but it also it has that emotion that people often comment on, you know, is lacking in Wes Anderson film. And that, yeah, maybe I feel is lacking in some of the, the early ones. But, you know, F. Murray Abraham is the other person who I think gives a really good performance in the movie. And, you know, when he's talking about Agatha for the first time and he's like, oh, you know, talking about how he doesn't want to even go down that route. You know, when he's telling the story, he's like, oh, we'll get there eventually or whatever. He has that like emotional moment where he almost like sheds a tear. It's really it's really uh, great acting. And you really care about, you know, his character all that many years later about Zero. So um, it's it's a fantastic movie. And yeah, with time will probably become my favorite West movie. It's at number two right now, I think. I haven't seen it. All right, that's everybody's number 10. And we're going to do tonight in the chat. Uh, if you want, chime in and let us know who you thought had the best number 10 overall. Scott with Spotlight, Spence with Endgame, Amaru with Incredibles, or Jake with Gary Budapest. Uh, Sound off less which we thought was the best number 10. As we get to number nines, going back to Scott with your number nine. All right, number nine is the timeless classic, To Kill a Mockingbird. So To Kill a Mockingbird, I think like many of us, at least in the American education system, we I read in uh, eighth grade um, and it instantly became, you know, one of my favorite books and kind of set me on the course towards the field of law where I find myself now. Um, it's just such a it, it's one of those stories, like I said, it is time. I feel like it is timeless uh, because the the central idea of the story about you have to have empathy for other people. You have to, you never really understand someone until you put on their shoes and walk around for a little bit. I mean, if that isn't still true, like if we aren't still struggling with that as a society, we may be struggling with that more than ever um, nowadays. Like, I, you know, I don't know what is true. Um, it, it's, and, and you know, this is a movie where you, you might like, in hindsight, you would you would think, oh, maybe this is like some white savior movie that like doesn't really hold up, doesn't really age that well. But I think the movie gets it exactly right, and the book obviously gets it exactly right because Atticus Finch doesn't really save anyone in the end, right? He tries his best. He has you know great intentions. He goes in front of the court and he makes you know a, a foolproof case. Honestly, like it is obvious that Tom Robinson is. Um, is innocent like he could not even use the hand that they say he used um but because the community is against him because the community is prejudiced tom robinson is still found guilty and you know that's the that's the message right there is it takes a village right to to lynch a man and so it takes a village to you know to change before anything can be done in a positive way and what one man one good apple like atticus finch is not going to change that um, so I think it has the exact right perspective on that and, and, you know, is on the right side of the conversation that we are still having today. Um, and Gregory Peck gives one of the all time great performances, in my opinion, as Atticus Finch. Um, I can't imagine that anyone ever in history could have played this character better. Um, he just has that 
composure and but like he, he just exudes that fatherly authority um but also like you know when he's in the courtroom giving his closing argument it's another one that i show to like my students like at the end when he summons that you know in the name of god do your duty i mean that's just that's powerful um and it's also a coming of age story and you know i think the the child actors are really um really effective as well and you know the whole boo radley subplot and everything is like i said that that gets right to the heart of the movies um themes about empathy so i just think yeah this is a movie that will just never age for me will never get old it's just um one of the the great stories ever written probably in american literature and um if you if you haven't seen this movie if you haven't read this book please experience it for yourself i promise it is not you know just one of those books that you read for school and you never think anything about again or it's like a chore to get through i i guarantee you you will get a lot out of this yeah i um we've talked a lot about movies that we had to watch or books we had to read in high school and even if they we we discovered that rediscovered them later and thought they were good at high school it's like oh god this sucks this one was for me like a, i think ninth tenth grade whenever you read this um I, we read the book, we watched the movie, and I was like, wow, this is fantastic. Like, before I really even had, like, any good taste in movies or in books, I recognized what was going on here. Um, shut up, Spence. Uh, this, yeah, Peck is great in this. And my my biggest downside to this movie is that every time I watch it, I feel like such a garbage father because he is so good at it. And, like, I think he just puts every dad, he's the all-time best movie dad um just does everything right and is like so perfect in how he raises his kids and his relationship with them even though he keeps it with arms arms length uh there's just that warmness that sweetness and that uh you know that understanding of what he the kind of people he's trying to make them uh i love the fact that the movie is told through the eyes of the kids um because you know it's such an ugly story that should be hard to understand. It shouldn't make sense. And unfortunately to us as adults, it makes sense because we know that's the world we live in. But for a kid to see that, it doesn't make sense. And that that, that idea of why is this happening the way it's happened, this shouldn't be, um, just really adds a whole lot to it. Uh, the courtroom stuff is great. Uh, you know, the scene with the ball and, you know, the scene where he's, you know, you know, breaking down the, the, the girl, uh, his accuser, and just like, you know, getting the, getting the truth out of her. And it's just so frustrating because like he's right and he's right and he's right and he's right. And he's still... He still can't win. Like you think, like you get to the end, you're like he has to win just because a it's a movie, and b he's batting a thousand on everything he's done this case, and he still loses. Um, but yeah, it's it's a beautiful story. It's a sad story. Um, and then like all the Boo Radley stuff that's planned through and then comes at the end is um, is great too. Yeah, it just it's a it's a close to perfect movie. I love this one. Uh, everybody else on uh, To Kill a Mockingbird. I was trying to like think of something smart this whole time to like add to this. And in my head, I was literally just repeating like Gregory Peck is hot. Gregory Peck is so hot. This movie. <laughs> oh my God. Hot dad. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's really cool uh, how this movie uh, starts. Not like you expect at all, where it's just kind of following around uh, scout and scout on, on their regular, regular ass day. Uh, just kind of wandering through the neighborhood. I don't remember this movie too well, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I watched it. In I school. mean, you're right. You are right. That is how it starts. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I watched this movie. The last time I saw this was in school, but uh, yeah, I, I listening to you talk so passionately about it makes me feel like I need to uh, give this a rewatch. Uh, fun fact, though, I think they 
I mean, maybe not to you Americans, but uh, they say that this is like as important as the Bible to Americans, which I'm like, oh, in, in the book, I, I mean. That, but, yeah. uh, it, it's I've, I've weirdly heard though. that somewhere. I've, I've heard it somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. All right. And by the way, it's not Thanksgiving here in Canada. We have our Thanksgiving at the correct time in October. Americans shouldn't be having Thanksgiving. That's a conversation for another day. Uh, but... I think my biggest issue with this film is because of how like thoroughly it's taught in school, and because like when you watch movies in school, you're like you. I feel like you don't garner that affection for them. It's like, oh, I have to watch. No matter how good it is, you're always just like, eh, I don't know. And I, I think I think I think it's my thing here. I don't actually dislike the film at all. I think it's really good. I just don't have any strong emotions, and I probably won't until I rewatch it, like personally on my own time. Robert Duvall. <laughs> Robert Duvall. Um, <laughs> It, it, the fact that it actually powers through being a school movie, uh, because also the source material is amazing. Uh, the book yeah. is is amazing. The movie is amazing. Atticus Finch is one is again. I've been I'm gonna do a lot of uh, superlatives and hyperbole today. One of the greatest greatest characters ever. Gregory Peck does an amazing job. Um, and the, I really like the point uh, Kirk brought up. Actually being able to watch this through a child's eyes, like just thinking about how children. Uh, are not born to hate. They are taught to hate and learn to hate and looking at it like, but why? This doesn't make any sense. I don't understand this. It just, it boils down to the simplicity of why would another human being be be treated this way before all of the stupidity of this country specifically and everywhere in the world comes into play for a child. So um, great pick. All right, Spencer, takes us to your number nine. My number nine. Uh, right as I close out our box, I forget how the show works. Number nine is The Prestige. This is my favorite Christopher Nolan film. As Scott leaves. Uh, nice. Hell yeah. I don't think I've ever been so immediately impacted by a film. <laughs> or sorry, by a film screenplay. Cause I sat there taking this in and I remember back, I think I saw this in 2018 for the, or 2017 for the first time. And I'm sitting there taking it all in. And I have like this absurd notion to myself, like this is maybe the greatest screenplay of all time. And I'm not quite there yet, but I, I still think it's fucking brilliant. I can, I find as we said last week, I think no one can be said it tend to be sort of cold as a screenwriter. And I find that he has such a, such a great way of just like understanding these characters and like the pain and the anger that that uh, Jackman and Bale feel, it's phenomenal. And like beyond that, I think I think it's hard to have a film with so many twists that remains as engaging on rewatch. I, I can I can sort of be distant to a film on rewatch if, if it's like relying on a twist, but this this walks perfect line of not only keeping you engaged through all of it. There are so many like twists or like changes in narrative. I'm like, holy shit, holy shit, every fucking time. I love watching this. It's in, in a weird way. It, it is the best version of like soap opera storytelling of like shocking reveal, shocking reveal. And it keeps me fucking interested. And I love it. It makes my fucking brain tingle and how like engaging it is. And also like Rebecca Hall, Hall or, Hall or Ferguson, which one, whatever it is, she's great. Love her. Love she's in the one film. Yep, it's all. Anybody else have prestige? 
Um, this is, yeah, this definitely top, this is probably my number two flirts with number one, uh, for Nolan films. Uh, I think it's great. It is a great story. Um, it's great Nolan storytelling cause it's, it's, it's his twists and turns and playing with time and perspective, but it's still very much character driven. And I think that's the best part of it. And I love the fact that it's, uh, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> uh, it's very character driven and I just love movies that take you into like a very specific world and show you that world is just like 19th century stage magic. And it, it sounds really boring, but like you watch this movie like, Oh yeah, this is pretty cool. Um, no, Kathy, uh, the illusionist is not like the prestige. I know you like fun fact. Kathy likes the illusionist better. I'll add her on that one. And she, she will, she will be ashamed of that. She'll be very proud that she likes the illusionist better. Um, <laughs> you leave Kathy alone. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, no, this is, uh, yeah, this movie's a lot of fun. And like I said, it's one of those ones, even when you know everything, you go back and watch it and just see, you know, how it plays out. It's, it's still fun and entertaining to watch on rewatch. Uh, and yeah, just how it starts, the way it's like told from at one time from one perspective and then switches and it's a whole other thing and the whole different reveal. Yeah, there's so much going on in this movie. Um, very rewatchable. Uh, like I said, top tier Nolan. Uh, this is what he was definitely at his peak. Uh, everybody else on The Prestige. The Prestige was actually like my 50 or 51 for the longest time. Um, and I don't know, I can't remember exactly why I took it off my list. Um, the biggest thing I can think of is I was really trying not to put in what my favorites are and what I, I watch the most, as you all uh, found out. Um, but I love this movie. I, I think this is one of Nolan's best in actually putting um, the the mind fucks and the twists and the, and the, and, and from the beginning, the three steps of a magic trick into the three steps of the movie, but also actually bringing emotion to character. Actually, Christian Bale um, and, and 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 Henry Jackman actually bring a lot of emotion, and you 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 connect with these characters way quicker than most of his films. Uh, way quicker than most of his films, you connect with these characters, and um, though I I think you connect with uh, Nolan's characters in most of his movies, to me at least. Um, it, but also David Bowie. I'm done. I'll leave it at that. David Bowie. You're right. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. So when I talked about Interstellar last week, uh, I mentioned how sometimes the one shortcoming of Nolan films is that they do leave me a little cold. Um, this is one of the ones that does, I have to say. Um, and keep in mind, we're talking about one of my favorite directors, I still think it's a really good movie um, and I can appreciate, you know, that it's pretty, it, it's very well put together. I will say that there's also a little bit of a deus ex machina in the third act of the movie that bothers me a little bit, but um, I, I don't care about the characters in the way that ways that I do in other Nolan movies. Um, and that's ultimately, you know, while, while it's obviously a very engaging watch again, it's, it's well made, it's well put together. You're absorbed in what's going on. Um, I just don't, I'm not left feeling a whole lot um, after the credits roll. So it is a little bit lower on my personal list. But again, we're talking about one of my favorite directors here. I still like the movie. Uh, one of the things that I love uh, so much about the movie, uh, I love like meta-ish uh, things about movies. And I think this reveals a lot about how Nolan views the medium of film as like uh, a... Um, very uh, this uh mixture of like 
uh, illusion and mechanical and devotion to to this art form. And uh, you, you kind of see Scorsese get at that in Hugo a little bit, where he's um, drawing the, the parallels from uh, illusionists to uh, filmmaking uh, with uh, George Milnews. Um, and yeah, uh, my friend recently, I was like, uh, you should check out The Prestige. How haven't you seen The Prestige? And he was like, oh, I know the twist. The twist is that, um, and uh, spoilers, but uh, the twist is that uh, they're making clones and they're they're killing the clones right away. And I'm like, yeah, that's one of the twists. That's one of the many twists in this movie. Like, you can still see this movie and that's actually not what I would consider the the twist I, I would say this movie doesn't necessarily even have a twist it has a series of reveals uh, mm -hmm. it's very interesting I, I i love this movie all right uh Aubrey, what is your number nine? First off flying cat apparently in adelaide <laughs> and secondly uh my favorite comedy of all time one of the best of all time coming to america uh so before the carolina panthers game me and scott were having breakfast and we were having a conversation about how one of my biggest regrets of going to the Schmodown is that I didn't get to have one game with me and Ryan Payne where we forced <laughs> Caleb Boatman to yell out sexual chocolate and introducing <laughs> sexual chocolate. Coming to America is one of the most quotable and hilarious films of all time. It is Eddie Murphy's funniest film. It has a little bit of a rom-com in there, too, because not it's just funny, but the story is, is nice to follow. But th just the amount of iconic scenes and characters, uh, Mighty, Shop, Mighty Sharp Barbershop needs its own show. Um, just, uh, his mama, how many times have you said his mama named him Clay? I'm gonna call him Clay. I don't know how many times I said his mama called him Staples Center. I'm gonna call him Staples Center after the Lakers decided that stupid shit where they were going to change the name to some <laughs> Bitcoin company. You, everybody on this stream has said a line from this movie at one point or another in their life, even if they have not seen it. Um, outside of Friday is the only thing that comes close to that. Um, my both of my parents have had a birthday within the last two months, and they made it a point to sing "She's Your Queen" as they came out. This movie is yes. Thank you, Kathy. Uh, uh, Prince Akeem yelling to be loved outside, and in the New York being New York, and he yells back, "Yes, fuck you, dude." <laughs> it is just perfect. It is perfect. It is. It is. It is just. It's and it's it's perfect because it's not just a movie for jokes. It's a story that is hilarious and also kind of heartwarming. And you, you love all the characters. Um, I I it, this this movie is is rewatchable and hilarious. And Samuel L. Jackson's basically first movie, uh, robbing the bank. It's just so much to it. Uh, that that boy good. That boy good. Uh, I'm gonna leave it at that because I could keep going. Uh, yeah, I I've seen this movie you know multiple times over the years. I've always liked it, but when I saw it in your top ten, I was like top ten all time really. So I wouldn't rewatch it for the first time in a while. And yeah, I have no qualms as being your top ten. This is an all time great comedy. Um, definitely Eddie's best ever. Um, I think this is his best performance, uh, both from a comedic standpoint and also just from an acting standpoint. 
I think this movie does a lot of things right. Uh, that character would be really easy just to like lead in like the gullibility and the innocence and leave it at that. Uh, but there's he has a lot of moments of depth. He has a lot of moments of intelligence that he shows. And it walks the line between those two things very, uh, very just seamlessly. Uh, it's a great character. I think it's the best use of Eddie's big smile. Like just when he's walking with that huge, innocent smile, like, you know, just so happy to be there. Um, I think this is like, it's so refreshing to watch, especially from the, go back to the 80s, like to see a character with like so little edge to it. You know, this is, this is probably the most wholesome R-rated comedy I've ever seen. Like it just, just you, except for a few little things, like it's just like a, it's almost like a family film at certain times. Like it's very, it's very just accessible, I think, for anybody. Um, yeah, the barber shop is fantastic. Uh, so many people have tried to do that multiple character things since then, and usually they fall completely on their face. That's terrible. Um, Eddie and Arsenio are so great at it. That those characters, like you said, that could be their own movie. Like if they ever spun that off, I'd be fine with it. Um, because his characters are so strong and so funny. Um, I love how they show New York because they do a lot of like the, oh, you know, you know, 80s New York is sleazy and like they get robbed and everything. But it doesn't just end there. Like they show like there's a very strong community there. Um, and I like that it has those layers that a lot of comedies like that don't. Um, I love John Amos in this. I love his little like McDonald's feud subplot. Just that scene at the end where he's sitting in his office and he's reading the McDonald's, the McDonald's manual. And, like someone's here for you. Not for McDonald's, is it? Just, just little, just, you know, seeds planted in there. It's not overdone, um, but every, you know, all those little, you know, all the side characters are great. Um, but yeah, this is all, definitely you know all time great comedy. So it's good they never made comedy. another one. Another, yeah, it, yeah. it's a single movie. <laughs> exactly, they never made yeah. anymore. Yes. Uh, everybody else are coming to America. I think I should just cam off because I've never seen it. I'm ashamed. <laughs> never oh. seen it. Oh, oh my gosh! Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Oh uh, yeah, I, I love this movie. I love the whole cast. I'm a huge Eddie Murphy fan. Uh, think about Eddie Murphy is that like, um, uh, he's so good at playing uh, high status characters in a uh, bringing being brought down to uh, earth. And uh, something special about Eddie Murphy, and uh, you see it in this movie, is that uh. Eddie Murphy's fucking hot. And like, you can like see, <laughs> this is the horniest I'm getting now. All of a sudden, I'm like, <laughs> everyone's hot. Atticus. Hey, Todd? <laughs> what the fuck? Like, I'm just like, Atticus <laughs> Finch is hot. Eddie Murphy's hot. But no, Eddie Murphy, um, it's a shame that they neutered him in the 2000s when you watch something like this. And it's like, ah, oh, yeah, this guy, this is like a funny guy who fucks, you know? Like, it's it's a shame. All right. And then you watch me, Dave. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Uh Jake, that's gonna be your number nine, buddy. Number nine, I have the thing. John Carpenter's the thing. Oh, no one else has the thing on their list. I should Spence know by so <laughs> ominous, just the knocking at the thing. <laughs> Spence had it. Spence had it. Spence I do, it. yeah. Oh, you did have it. Okay, okay. Good. You guys did. <laughs> I don't remember. We've been doing this for 10 weeks. I started jogging in this time. You are getting crazy. our memories together? <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, the thing. One of the great uh, movies. I remember um, this, is a, this is like one of like the first like, like this is the movie that got me into horror. Uh, I remember we had like our friend over from hockey uh, after hockey, we had him over and we, it was like Halloween and we were like, 
oh, like uh, my parents were like, we rented the thing or whatever. And I don't know how old we were, but we put it on and immediately. My friend, just some music was just like, nah, let's get out of here. Let's go back to your room and watch some Scooby-Doo or something. So we had to go back and watch Scooby-Doo. And I like snuck out and I'm watching uh, the, the thing with my parents and, and um, everything about it. Uh, it, it, it just, it feels so authentically alien. And um, the thing about this movie is that, uh, and I think the reason that it was like the top rental forever is because there's so many characters in it and there's so many little plot turns that uh, even as someone who, uh, this is my favorite, one of my favorite movies. So obviously I've seen it so many times now. I know exactly what's going on. But uh, the little turns in it and the little reveals and the little uh, horror beats uh, for the longest time just kept surprising me somehow. <laughs> like I just like I haven't seen this before or something. Uh, the way that the, um, the the special effects obviously get a lot of deserved attention. Uh, I still have no fucking idea how they do some of these things. There's a scene where uh, the head rolls off and then it gets up. And crawls away, which I'm like, how the fuck did they do that? And then it flips over and eyes pop out of it. And, I, you know, the, the, there's like eight different things that this head does. And it's like, is this a puppet? Is this stop motion? How is any of this working? And, um, yeah, the, the main thing, though, is just the vibe of this movie. I, I want to hang out with these characters, specifically uh, Keith David and uh, Kurt Russell and all of these uh old uh working class like rough man with real fucking faces you never see that in movies anymore doesn't that suck when you watch something like this and you're like ah these guys have like like you can tell this guy like worked a drill press at some point in his life you know and it's like why isn't there more actors like that uh and this is a movie like composed of those guys so yeah i love the thing russell keith david also hot uh truth if y'all want to turn into the greatest show of all time, Why We Love Horror, hosted by Mike Hanley, I say repeatedly, this is the movie that sort of broke me into horror. I'm like, oh yeah, it's good. That was very like elevated horror. Blumhouse, you're shit until you're good, then you're great. Fuck you. And then I watched this. And I realized that like, I can love horror filmmaking. Carpenter is such a bar to reach. But when you can distill it down, that horror isn't just, oh, people being scared. It's like this, this ununderstandable, just shaking sense of dread in the universe of anything can kill you. I was like, wait, horror is sort of like a brilliant genre that anything can happen in it. And this movie, I think, is, is like a hallmark of that, where it, it, it is literalized anything. One second. Cosmo, fuck off. Get over here. Literally anything, <laughs> any human, any dog, anything that fucking looks at you funny could kill you. And I think that is brilliant. I've never seen the original. I've seen just the one thing where they're just like sh throwing the fire on the thing. But like taking it from like this, like this like vague human Frankenstein monster to literally like a, 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 an HR Geiger or a fucking, um, who, who's, who's the, um, the sci-fi racist dude. Lovecraft. <laughs> like taking Which that one? kind of horror and putting it where you physically cannot escape it is some of the best like storytelling like, one of the best storytelling storytelling devices ever 
Yeah, I definitely love this movie as well. I think it's an all-time great horror movie, all-time great sci-fi movie. Yeah, just one, the the setting and the tone. I mean, just for me personally, that setting, that anarchic setting is horrifying. There's like no worse place you could be. Like that, it just, you're surrounded by death, like going outside can kill you. And um, then you add this element to it. Um, I just, like like Dylan said in the chat, the, the movie takes its time, it's very patient. It just, you know, just waiting to see what happens next. I mean, obviously the seat, the blood test scene is so iconic for a reason, so perfect. Um, but the entire movie's like that. And yeah, I love the special effects. I love the much. I just love the fact that there was no rules to what this thing or no limits to what this thing could become. Just how so much just when it transforms, it becomes everything and anything. And there's you know, there there's no there's it's it, they're coloring completely outside the lines. There's no boundary to what this can be. And just how you know how off the hook it is with the with the uh, with the horror, um, and just that all that imagery. Um, and I think there's one. I, I think most of it's like puppetry because there's one stop motion uh, effect at the end, and you could tell. And that's like the one bad effect of the entire movie. Everything else is perfect. Um, and I don't know how they do it all either, but it's fantastic. Um, so yeah, I love that. I watched this. I showed this to my son the first time. Uh, for the first time about a year ago, and he was like, just he thought, how old? He thought, he thought it was the Among Us movie, but um, <laughs> it was like he was still really just sucked in by like all of it. So how he was old like, was yeah, he? Child is us. Uh, he was twelve at the time. Oh, you're a terrible parent, Kirk. <laughs> oh, man, Atticus man. Atticus Finch could really parent your kid. <laughs> <laughs> but um. <laughs> But yeah, it's it's a fantastic movie. Uh, so Scott and Rue on the thing. It's eighties horror. I haven't seen it. Mm. Mm. We're we're getting my shameful moments out of the way early tonight. Um, I will Scott. say that I, there were three movies that I wanted to watch in the past week because I knew they were going to come up on this show. This was one of them. However, I only got to watch one of them, and this wasn't it, unfortunately. But I'm going to watch this soon because. There's no way I won't like it. Hashtag cancel Scott. I know. I'm sorry. All right. Uh, four strong choices in the number nine slot. Scott had to kill a mockingbird. Spence had the prestige. Rue had coming to America. And Jake had the thing. Chat signed off. Who had the best number nine? And we're going to move on in the meantime to number eight. Scott, what is your number eight? A horror film of sorts. Uh, David Fincher's Zodiac. I also had this. <laughs> This is Fincher's greatest film, in my opinion. Uh, it's it, it's honestly it's the perfect film for him to make because, of course, he is known for being like the most meticulous director, right? Like he takes a hundred takes of every single scene, um, and so he's so he's so focused on those details. And this story is all about those details, right? It's about you know this watch that is a Zodiac brand. It's about handwriting samples. It is like every little speck of detail um could be the the key to unlock who the zodiac is it's another one of those procedural movies um again that just that really uh get me going I, you know i just like the scenes of people going through documents and answering phone calls and just you know doing work in offices um and obviously you have mark ruffalo again here with you know rocking the bow ties um, and eating his animal crackers. And that's just, you know, those wonderful little character details like that, I think, are, um, you know, indicative of what a what a good movie uh, it is, what, a, you know, what a next level movie it is. 
Um, and it's just fascinating to watch. I mean, now that true crime has become such a big thing, I think it's interesting to go back to this movie and look at how it sort of interrogates that whole idea of like of true crime and getting really lost in a real life case. Um, and you know, the negative side of that, obviously the dark side of that. I mean, Paul Avery, you know, basically ends up out of the business. Um, Jake Gyllenhaal loses his, uh, you know, Robert Graysmith, he loses his, his wife and family because he's literally at the dinner table turning on the news, um, you know, while his, they're trying to eat, you know, as a family and he's turning on the news cause he, he has to watch what's happening. Um, and, you know, Dave Toski goes through a lot as well. I mean, people accuse him of being the Zodiac um, or of, of having, you know, doctor, 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 the letters. Um, and yeah, it's just, it, it's one of the most engaging two hour, you know, two and a half hour plus movies that you'll ever watch. Like it, it just flies by. Um, and it is, you know, the, that great sort of movie about how the quest for, answers where there are no answers and sort of the way the fruitlessness of the journey sometimes. Um, but it, yeah, it's, it, it's compulsively watchable. It has like one of the greatest mic drops in a movie there when he's at the jail and he's talking to Clea Duvall and, you know, she's trying to remember the name of the guy that was her sister's boyfriend or whatever. And, you know, it's like, she's not going to remember it and he starts to walk away. And then she goes, it was Lee. And you realize it was, you know, John Carroll Lynch's character from earlier in the movie. Um, and he's terrifying, too, in his one scene. Like, he's completely normal. Like, he, he's he's normal, but, like, there's something that just is off about him in that scene. Uh, he, he plays it completely perfectly. That scene is really scary. Also, the scene where he goes to the um, house of the guy who makes movie posters and he's down in the basement. I mean, that is, like, something out of a horror movie. And Fincher knows how to get those visceral moments, too, like the way that he depicts the kills and tracks them very closely with what the real life facts were and how these murders went down. I mean, the daylight murder or, you know, the daylight stabbing of the couple when they're on the picnic is also just, it's, it's terrifying to watch. Um, but you know, it's all the work of, of a, of a master craftsman. I mean, this is like clockwork, how perfectly put together this movie is. Shout out yeah. to Gary. Uh, <laughs> also Jake Gyllenhaal losing his wife. Some karma right there. Uh, right this there. <laughs> hey, Todd. What the fuck? Fuck you, go. You like all too well. Uh, I think this is just an, this is an incredible piece of filmmaking of not quite like adapting the unadaptable. I think I think Pedro did something really smart and really brave of literally adapt like making a story where the end of it is genuinely I don't know. And I think have, having that that faith as a filmmaker that you can create an engaging story without really an ending is amazing. And I think Fincher mastered it. It's not quite my favorite of his, but I think that what he did here is just so incredible. And I, and I find myself just thinking about it all the time of just like, granted, before September, whenever we found out about my man Gary, uh, about just like, it's who, not who is it? Who like who is it not? What's his name? No, no, that's his name. But I'm saying that he's not actually the Zodiac. I mean, no. Read my. It's, it's Ted Cruz. That is also true. But I just just said, like you, you could you could go back and like wait, who is it? And there's all these different evidence of just like how like what to you makes the most compelling arguments. 
the fact that Fincher is able to incorporate those true crime elements while also like directing his actors incredibly and having like this really this incredible tone throughout the film is like is a masterwork of direction. Best film of 07, I believe, or pretty close to it. Uh, I like this movie. Um, for me, it's a, it's a tell of two halves, and I think I'm very sure, Scott, you and I will have opposite opinions on this. I think the first half of the movie is much more character-driven, and that's the half that appeals to me. Um, the second half becomes more of that procedural, and it loses me a little bit. I mean, it's still a lot of great. Like, there's a, the basement scene everything in that part. That's a lot of good stuff in it. But I really like the first half. You lose uh, Robert Downey Jr. that second half. And I loved him in this movie. So once he's gone, I, I lose a little bit of interest. Um, but top to bottom, it's still a really solid movie. Not my favorite feature, um, but still a solid pick. Uh, Rue and Jake on Zodiac. Uh, I really like this movie. It's great. Um, my only critique probably is that it's a tad bit too long. I Towards the end, I was like, let's get it going. But all those scenes you, you mentioned, I remember the feeling of those scenes. Like, holy shit, those are it's creepy. Um but yeah, it, it, it towards the end, I was like, it's, it's, man, it's still going. Uh, yeah, I uh, I really love this movie too. I I kind of I reluctantly agree with Rue because I I kind of think it's a perfect movie. Uh, but for some reason, when uh, like Scott specifically when you were talking, uh, I kept uh, John Carroll Lynch is hot. John Carroll, and I was like, that's not. Oh, please, <laughs> no, we're not doing this. Robert Flo are right there. J- Jake feel, over here sending prison letters to the Zodiac killer. I, I, I feel like something's wrong with me. XOXO. <laughs> yeah. But uh, one thing is, one weird uh, quirk of Mindhunter being so good, the TV show, is that I'm like, am I going to revisit Zodiac as much because of how much I love Mindhunter? That's the one weird uh, yes. wrinkle in this. I, I, I don't know. That's all. You go on. Were you good on it? He, he, he talked. Already, yeah, you, okay, I'm sorry. Okay. All right, it. then uh, Spencer takes us to your eight. I'm sorry, eight. Scott. This is my favorite venture, Fight Club. <sighs> I I am sorry. Here's the thing, though. I was an edgy little shit. Because <laughs> I first watched it at a double feature with the Clockwork Orange. And I watched this like three times in a week. So I was like, holy shit, this is filmmaking. And I sat on it for like five years. And I'm like, oof. I probably shouldn't have this opinion. Let me let me rewatch it. Let, let, me, let me see if it still works. And it's incredible. I I, I used to be in that in that like subset of just like toxic dudes of just like Oh yeah, I love those like so violent. The men each other is fucking awesome, and I love the pixies. And now, and now, and now I come back to it. I'm like, this is such a, like a, an amazing criticism of like a culture that I used to be a part of, and it also has the fucking pixie, which is awesome. And I, I think I think that Fincher again, like, it's it's like the prestige, where I think it's able to sell, tell such like an engaging story with the twist being like the fundamental element of like this is the movie. Without the twist, the movie like doesn't quite work. But then. Movies that movies that like fail that like Memento I think we talked about on the show before, but then this just draws me back in. Like I am so engaged in the journey of Tyler Durden, not just like as a character, but also like how, like his place in society, how he needs to fill his life with like materialistic objects. And to him, that is the world. And I think that I I've, I've, I've read Chuck Palahniuk's like original Fight Club. 
I don't love it. I don't think it's interesting. And I think Fincher elevates the material to, like, an incredible extent that, like, insert politics thing here. I know they don't say, love saying this on channel. Like, just pretend I'm saying politics. And I think that all, all that just appeals to me so much. And I, and I think that its overall message and the way that it, like, goes towards the end, like, as it, as it barrels towards the end of the film is amazing. I love, love, love how this story is told. And that's ignoring I wish Jake was here. Brad Pitt is so fucking hot in this. And Helena Bonham Carter is so, like, this is like I can't be the movie. Literally not an ounce of fat on this more than one way. I, 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 I am shocked when people don't love the film like I do. Fuck you, Holtzman. Yeah, this is definitely up there. If not my favorite Fincher, it's it's definitely uh, at the top of the list. Um, and yeah, I think it's great at being a satire of that kind of culture, but also, you know, exploring it and not necessarily judging it. Um, I, I Brad Pitt was just having so much fun in the late '90s with this and Seven and uh, Twelve Monkeys, just the characters he was creating. Uh, just he's so so good. Um, and I love him in this. I mean, it's I I love how Ed Norton's character is kind of discovering him as we are, and we're seeing it through his eyes, and just how he's kind of like turning his life on its head. And you know, we get to watch that character just be that character. And I just love the little moments like the like the flash cuts of him standing there before we're introduced to him. Um, yeah, it's it. Yeah, I ha I have so much fun with it. I, mean, I know it's. There's more to it than just what's on the surface, but the surface is so much fun. Um, and yeah, the twist. Now, Spence, I haven't read the book, but from what I understand, correct me if I'm wrong, like the book, you know the twist from the beginning, right? Like it doesn't, like it's not a big reveal at the end. That's what I've heard. I, I, thought. I don't think so. I, 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 that's still like, it's, it's earlier in the story, but it's still, yeah. it's still a twist. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's such a, like it's it's a movie that's like really depressing and really dark, but at the same time very fun. Um, and you don't get that a lot of films. I just love the tone of it, and I think Norton and Pitt are great. Uh, Helen Bono Carter is great. Uh, Meat Loaf's good in it. Uh, Jared Leto. Everybody said this is just it's just a really really. It, there's there's I can't think of any other movie like it. Um, I th you were the only one who had this. Everybody else had Fight Club. I can think of another movie like it. It's called uh, Joker, uh, and it came out in the year 2019. Um, I don't like this movie. This is the one Fincher movie that I do not enjoy. Um, I think it is. It just. I think it's a mean spirited for one thing. Like all the stuff with Meatloaf's character and the way that that character is made fun of, just it doesn't sit right with me. I just it's just gross. Um, and then I do think that the movie crosses the line of like, you know, being a satire. I haven't seen Alien 3. That's fair. Holtzman, that's the one I haven't seen. But, um, you know, I, it's trying to walk a really thin line of like depicting the things that it wants to satirize. And I do think it crosses the line into coming too close to glamorizing what it is it is you know depicting and that's the reason why so many people i mean that's not to say people don't misinterpret well-made movies too but i think that's why so many people you know have latched on and have the posters and all this stuff and are, oh yeah this is you know fight fits fight club 
Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think I think he just he didn't he didn't strike the right balance. Like I alluded to a few episodes ago, I definitely think that American Psycho is the better version of what this is trying to go for. Oh, yeah, I, I, I heard you. Yeah, Brad Pitt is, is very, very hot, uh, Spence. Yeah. And, and I'm glad you said it. You need to say it. Uh, well, my uh, I have the wireless earbud, so I could leave, grab my martini stuff, and then just head right back over. Why are you James Bond tonight? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. My wife was like also questioning this bit, and I'm like, I don't know. Just like, don't question it. It's I'm, I'm pretending this is very special. Uh, <laughs> it is special. Uh, yeah, da- David Ehrlich. Uh, you, since you compared it to Fight Club, David Ehrlich, the film critic for IndieWire, had a really great article comparing Fight Club to Joker and why Fight Club is uh, uh, it actually uh, in his his perspective and I, I share this perspective it actually avoids um, condoning the the behavior that it, it, it is simultaneously glamorizing uh, and I think that's a very special thing about this movie and a thing that is very rarely uh, pulled off because uh, on one hand uh, yes Brad Pitt is so fucking cool and the uh, epitome of like this uh, toxic male ideal avatar, like he is that, and he's perfect at it. And all the manic energy that he's everything, like deep down the the darkest uh, uh, part of of uh, a, a lot of people want to be. And uh, yet, uh, this movie, I think, is a a biting critique of toxic masculinity and, and, and honestly, um, maybe not much else. I I, I don't, I think when people start talking about this movie and they start talking about like, ah, yeah, it's, it's about how the system is against us. I'm like, I I think immediately once you get into that, it's like, yeah, I think Tyler Durden, uh, suckered you in and and you managed to miss the point. That's what I'm saying. Well, I, I, he leaves it I too still easily misinterpreted. Like it's too easy to misinterpret it. Well, look, I I don't think that we can judge movies on how the dumbest people are going to read them. That's how I. But feel I don't anyway. think I don't think it's just the dumbest people. But yeah. Yeah, maybe not the dumbest people, but you know, most people are dumb. <laughs> okay. There. This is probably one of the biggest blind spots I have. I've never gotten around to watching it. Wow. Okay, Saru. So just ignore all the we said. Just, the twist doesn't exist. There is no twist. Well, I do yeah, about, about the twist. <laughs> I would, I'm sitting here thinking about how to describe how this movie works. What I'd say about this movie is that I don't think it condones this lifestyle, but I think it understands how people get there. And I think that's what it shows. Like, it, 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 it understands the world that creates these kind of people. Well, it doesn't like say it's okay. It's like we understand why they got that way. I don't know. Even, that's my take on it. I'm sorry, Amaro. Do you watch movies? <laughs> He's a geek player. No, he there doesn't. So many movies that you've yiked in the last like eight minutes. Hey, I, I've seen plenty, but there are plenty that I haven't as well. There's there's millions of movies out there. So all right, we'll talk about uh, one Ru has seen because we'll go to your number eight. Uh, we're back, Spence. Avengers Endgame. Um, I think this is one of the greatest achievements in, uh, cinematic history to build 22 different movies with a bunch of different characters. Um, some are kind of similar, but when you start getting into phase two, phase three, (laughs) the differences, the differences are actually really, really big. And the swings they took, um, were actually able to put together to be able to put together so many, 
um, close out so many arcs, make the movie entertaining, make the movie have weight, um, and then bring and then make make the previous film where in most cases in comic book movies you're like, well, they're all gonna come back, so what does it matter? And actually make it matter uh, when that five years later comes up, and you're like, oh shit, um, this movie is amazing. The only thing I'm gonna harp on: a lot of people have the criticism of Black Widow and her treatment in this, and I actually think she won was the one that needed to go because even though Hawkeye is my man, if it was Hawkeye, nobody would have gave a shit. Um, except me, except me. She was the one who who put weight into the stakes of this film. Her actual arc is about how she went from this individual spy who's looking out for herself and her family and her life was the one doing this job. She's the one after five years still doing this job, still caring about this job and still making sure that this is happening. And her, the 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 only, only I'm not gonna say only because there's other ones, but one of the, the, the best ways to close out her arc is to fulfill her job and sacrifice for her family. Um, and again, if it was Hawkeye who did that, I love you, Clint, but who gives a shit? So uh, that's the one critique people have about this movie that I don't understand. Um, but again, I think this this movie is great, uh, hilarious, action packed, some of the greatest, uh, the be- my favorite uh, movie theater scenes ever. Um, it's it's brilliant. Rue, you're right. Who does care about the worst Avenger? Uh, Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I think this speak does not make you intelligent. All right, who's the worst Avenger? Don't fucking hide backstage. He's Jar Jar is the shit. worst Avenger. <laughs> Coho is the worst Avenger. I, 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 I make hey, weird... Todd? What the fuck? I make a weird comparison about this, but I, I think it'll fall on deaf ears with this panel especially, but, like, I don't think we... I, don't think, I think we under, underestimate, like, how important the MCU is for, like, my generation. Of, like, this is our Star Wars. So sitting there and sort of taking everything in and like the original trilogy ended with hey everyone succeed we beat Darth Vader whatever I can't wait our Star Wars ends with the person who we have spent the last 10 years like caring for who was like a second dad to a lot of people fucking dying saving the world that hurts I think this is an incredible just like beat of like biggest movie ever yes but also just like this fundamental understanding of like a completion of storytelling, of like an ending so satisfying. <laughs> he agreed. An ending so satisfying, of not only just like yes, we've beaten the villain who has taken us to our knees at our lowest moments, but also doing it in such like a non-traditional way that like none of us expected. With like, oh yeah, they'll just get stronger, they'll come back. No, they had to fucking time travel and break physics to beat this motherfucker. Yeah, Ant-Man could have caught up his ass, but that's not as that's not as satisfying. This is just like an amazing piece of film achievement. That I, like this this is the film that it jumped in my jumped in my top one hundred the quickest and the fastest of any movie ever. Because I sat there at the end of it, fucking weeping, just crying like literally a ball on the floor. It's like post credit scene, like give me something, tell me someone's okay. And it's just the hammer. I'm like, fuck you. I don't need that right now. I want someone to make me stop crying. 
this is um, just perfection. Absolute perfection. Indiana is sorry, by the way, for interrupting. Oh, you named the uh, dog Indiana. Ah, uh, there we go. <laughs> you named the dog. Nice. <laughs> yeah, that's why um, I named it that so people could say that. <laughs> this was a fantastic way to wrap this up, and then Rue kind of alluded to it. I remember when I, after you know I sit in the theater uh, at the end of Infinity War, and there are actually people in the in the theater crying over like Spider Man and Black Panther, everybody getting dusted, and I'm like, dummies, time stone, you know. And then you you go and you go into this movie, and within the first five minutes, they destroy the Infinity Stones. Like, well, that's out the window. What happens next? And five years later, like, and they sit on that. Like, you have to sit on that on that L they took for a long time. And I know I think some people complain about like the length, the pace of this movie, but I love the fact that they just have to live with that. And um, then like they slowly come back, and the way they end up doing, it, I love the callbacks. I love it. It could be very hokey, just like, oh, we're going back, we're jumping into all the old movies, like a greatest hits record. Um, but it works, and it's so much fun. And it's just the whole thing, top to bottom, is such a great, uh, uh, such a great way to close out. That to me, that was, I think, the MCU is going to struggle for a long time to gear back up from this. I think that's the only downside to Endgame is that it really was an Endgame, and I, I don't think MCU has figured out what to do next yet. Um, obviously COVID didn't help with that, but it just, it seems like, um, to get back to where they were is going to be tough, but yeah, I love the last, you know, 45 minutes when Stados comes back, um, that scene where they're approaching him, you know, uh, Thor, uh, Cap and Iron Man are all kind of just, uh, you know, approach him. They got, got that like low shot of him sitting and he just sitting there, rubbed his head. One of the it's greatest like, skaters ever. Cause that's yeah. all we got. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's like an old like samurai movie or western, just that shot. And then obviously the portal scene and on your left is amazing. And that whole thing, um, yeah, it's a great movie. It's in my top one hundred. And the thing about superhero, all all comic book movies for me, it's like kind of follows the thing. It's like I see it the theater first time, I'm blown away, and then on successive rewatches, it kind of like uh, I kind of start to you know poke holes in it. I haven't gotten there with this one yet. I think it's going to take a while. Um, but yeah, just the feat in and of itself of what they did and what they were able to accomplish. The fact that they pulled off a decent movie uh, and a decent ending, let alone a great one, uh, is is huge. I mean, no, nothing's been done like this in the history of movies ever. Um, so it definitely deserves recognition for that. Uh, Jake and Scott on Endgame. Scott, you go first. I think what Kirk is trying to say and what I will go ahead and say is that the uh, MCU should have ended after Avengers Endgame. That should have been it. Of course, it was never going to be it because money is a thing. Um, but this should have been it. This is the best MCU movie by far. Um, it's the most satisfying ending that they could have hoped for with this whole thing they created. I mean, the movie's so good that it tricked me into thinking I for three hours that I cared way more about some of these characters than I actually did. Um, <laughs> And, like, I actually felt something when Captain America, you know, was leaving at the end, uh, which I never thought I would do. Um, but, yeah, it, it's it's so satisfying. Every moment, um, you know, that that they've built up to, they, they land the plane. Uh, and especially, like, in a year when Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker also came out. Like, after watching Rise of Skywalker, I just kept thinking about this movie, like... Wow, it's it's just amazing that they pulled it off in a way that you know satisfied everyone. Uh, because look at how horribly this could have gone wrong. Um, 
and you know that was obviously Rise of Skywalker. But yeah, no, 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 uh, no qualms about this. But you know, most of the superhero movies I've been like, yeah, whatever. Uh, but no qualms about this pick. Um, this is definitely the best MCU movie for me. Oh yeah, I I don't think this is uh, quite my my favorite uh, MCU movie, but uh, I I think that uh, everyone spoke very uh, well on it on the feeling of finality. Uh, the fact that there wasn't a post-credit stinger uh, in the most simple of terms is, uh, yeah, thank you, Marvel. Uh, like, um, yeah, I, I, since everyone uh, praised it so much, will, will you allow me to poke at this movie for, for, for just a second? Oh, God, please, no! <laughs> there, there is uh, quite a bit of... Um, questionable green screen in this movie that I, oh, I just think, that's your problem i just You're think, so many better criticism i just think visually the um the the lack of uh physical space uh just just visually holds this thing back from that's probably the the main thing that that holds it back honestly from from being my uh favorite mcu movie but uh, yeah, I, I think, uh, Kirk, what you said about uh, allowing them to live in it, uh, that moment uh, from the start of the, when it jumps five years, that was my favorite. That's one of my favorite moments of uh, being in a movie theater in recent memory when the whole audience was just like, oh, fuck. <laughs> and like, I kind of wish that they would have held on the five years later, like 10 seconds longer even, because it was such a good moment uh, that, yeah, I, I really did enjoy that. And yeah. When when Scott sees Cassie for the first time after 5 years not knowing. Ah. I, I, wait, wait. Like, oh yeah, okay. I, I was like who's Cassie and who is Scott? I'm like, "Oh, Ant-Man." <laughs> 90% of the time I have no idea what the fuck I'm talking about. I was also, wondering for a second there. I was like <laughs> Okay, but like like for me nothing matches like you know the guy in Spider-Man Homecoming who's like, Hey Spider-Man, do a flip. I was that in theaters, but just crying Hey Spider-Man, losing my mind. I will I'll back you up on that, Jake. I will say as many great moments there are in that final battle, like trying to like get a sense of space in who's where on that is just you might as well not even bother. It feels no, like they're on a stage. Good job of that, actually. All yeah, the that's... women are together in one area all the time, though. The scene with Tony and his dad is the one that gets me. If I can add that on, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. It's Who plays the dad in it? Which which one is John, it? Sterling, John Slattery, Slattery. Yeah, it's Sterling. <laughs> I all right. fucking we're, love Mad Men. <laughs> we're going to go on to Jake's number eight. I'm going to tell you guys now, as be, having been in your shoes in this episode. Um, Try not to be the last person to talk when your t- turn's coming up because you're going to wear yourself out really quick. Um, but, Jake, let's go into your number eight. Uh, my number eight is Jackie Brown. Love this movie. Uh, it's my favorite Tarantino. It's the one that I revisit the most. Uh, this has, like, been my summer soundtrack forever. Uh, this is my favorite of the Tarantino soundtracks. For a movie that's so uh, uh, plotty, um, uh, for those who don't know or don't remember, the, the plot of this movie is that... Um, a stewardess, uh, Jackie, uh, who who is constantly uh, uh, she she feels the pressure of uh, of needing uh, money, and uh, she she basically uh, gets busted by uh, these cops. Play one of them played by uh, Michael Keaton, who's already appeared on this list uh, in the same role in Out of Sight. 
Uh, he reprised the role in Jackie Brown for Out of Sight. Uh, he gets busted for uh, transporting cocaine for uh, Samuel L. Jackson's um, arms dealer character. And basically, uh, in a horrifying sequence with uh, Chris Tucker, who plays Beaumont, um, who Chris Tucker appears a lot on this list. That's why I I, I was trying to point to Rue there, <laughs> your love of Chris Tucker. Uh, you get this sequence with Chris Tucker, who gets bailed out by this arms dealer, and uh, basically murders him in cold blood. And and it's this this foreshadowing. And the movie is is a, is always a step ahead of you, which is one of the things that I love about this movie, and uh, which makes it so rewatchable, actually. And in that uh, it's foreshadowing exactly the the thing that Jackie is going to face off against. And it is particularly horrifying. Uh, The song playing is Strawberry Letter 22 or 23. I I forget it. Uh, (laughs) But yeah, I love all of the performances in this movie, particularly Robert Forrester as this uh, bail bondsman who, uh, yeah, uh, has this beautiful romance with uh, Jackie. Uh, and the whole thing, it's so, I've said before that I, I do think that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is Tarantino's, maybe his warmest movie, maybe his old manist, soft hardest movie, but this comes pretty damn close. And I, I just can't say enough good things about this. Uh, I don't want to talk for too long about it. I will say though, that I, I basically have a theory that he, he cast Robert De Niro and was like, you're playing Travis Bickle 20 years later. And we want to see what Travis Bickle is like when he gets out of jail after doing all this shit. And uh, yeah, it's one of my favorite De Niro performances. The, the, the little uh, plot line that De Niro gets in this is, is also uh, very, uh, some mixture of warm and sinister, which is the whole fucking thing in this movie. And I can't get enough of it. Love Jackie Brown. Can't say enough good things. It took me a while uh, to warm up to this movie because, you know, I came in, it's its third movie and it comes after Reservoir Dogs of Pulp Fiction. So when I first watched it, I'm like, where are the guys in black suits? I hate this. And um, it took me a while to just kind of realize, okay, that that's not going to be every one of his movies. That's okay. Um, but yeah, it's still not my favorite of his. But it's but it's de- I've definitely it's definitely grown on me. Uh, I love Pam Grier and Robert Forrester greatness. I love the fact that just like you know you don't see like that a lot. Like with just like two middle aged you know leads like that who are like the focus and they have like uh, like a really cool like kind of unrequited romance like you never there's not a closure on exactly what it is um but it's a really great relationship force was great that uh samuel jackson is a great as a just like the straight villain and he's very he's terrified in this just like a small time criminal um de niro's really good his his performance is great um so yeah i like i said i don't love it as much as his other movies but i can respect the take um it's very different just the fact that it's a it's i think it's the only ad- adaptation he's ever done uh, of, a, of of somebody else's material and you kind of feel that Elmore Leonard vibe mixed in with Tarantino's which are they're similar but in a lot of ways they're very different and you feel that and it's a, it's it's an interesting interesting movie in his filmography for it to be like that um but yeah uh everybody else on Jackie Brown as much as I love Chris Tucker this is not his best performance um but I have seen this movie I do enjoy okay. it that's for you coho um, and, um, 
I think it's cool. I actually really like your warm and sinister take. That that really does uh sum up the vibe of of Jackie Brown. Um so yeah, cool movie. I Go ahead. Sam. I I do not have a strong opinion about it. Um it's like the most there Tarantino for me. Like <laughs> I'm going to have to use her before he's got to get deal with this. Uh I like, I, it's not that I actually dislike the film. I, it's, overall, I think it's a little slow. But other than that, it's just like, eh. Like, I'm not super endeared to any of the characters. Character. I think Pam Grigg gives a great performance. I also really like Robert Forrester, but that's really about it. I It was out of my head the second I finished it. It's a grower, not a shower. For sure. <laughs> uh, phenomenal movie. Uh, absolutely love it. The opening credit sequence of her on the conveyor belt at the airport while they're, you know, across 110th Street is playing. The, the is Graduate. One... You want to hear Yeah, it's, it's an ode to The Graduate, but it's it's like one of my favorite opening credit sequences in a movie. Um, and yeah, Max Cherry, Robert Forster's character, is probably the closest thing to a real human being in any Tarantino movie. Uh, and that's <laughs> what, what makes, you know, Robert Forster's performance so great. Like, at the very end... Um, when she's like going off to Madrid and she asks him to go and he's like, no. And then she walks out the door. And then like the last thing you see is just that look on his face where he's like, maybe I should have gone. Um, uh, it breaks yes. your heart. It breaks your heart. Um, it, it's, it's such a, you know, it's such a good performance and the type of moment you don't get in a lot of Tarantino movies, though. I do, Obviously I am a massive fan of his. Um, so I, I think this is a, a really important film in his filmography. And yeah, I think it did kind of pave the way for once upon a time in Hollywood, you know, uh, a while later. Uh, how about uh, there's a scene where Pam Greer asks Robert Forrester, uh, how do you take your coffee? And and there's just a, a pregnant pause. He says, uh, black. And uh, there's just a, a little pause and they look at each other. And and I feel like the, the Tarantino imitators and the people who, who want to be Tarantino would take that one step too far. And, and, and I don't feel like Tarantino gets enough credit for his subtlety in some of these movies. Uh, yeah, just a, a sexy moment. <laughs> All right, everybody get a chance to talk on this one? Yep. All right. Okay, that's everybody's number eight. Scott, Zodiac, Spence, Fight Club, Amaru, Endgame, Jake, Jackie Brown. In the chat, let us know who had the best number eight. Well, we move on to number seven and Scott. 